Hello, everybody. Welcome into another episode of Debate Night. Uh, today, we are going to talk about the hot topic right now, which is the state of the uh, FPO division and what's going to happen. We're also going to go over the KC Wide Open a little bit and a few other topics as well. Uh, we're joined today by Brody Smith, as always, this time from Norway. Yeah, it looks like last week, a lot of people liked the standing version felt mm. like I had like better arguments. Um, so I might be at a disadvantage this week because I do have a chair. That's true. Yeah. I, yeah, it just doesn't push him back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you have a standing desk? I have a standing desk. Oh it's all my god. That's like worse Is that like a new Airbnb feature that I wasn't aware of? You can oh get those? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's premium right there. Uh, this Airbnb also has heated floors in the bathroom. What the Airbnb. heck? Norway just Who's she over there? people yeah. different. Yeah, but they don't have non Keep buying water. those Zone OSs to keep <laughs> fueling Brody's luxury. <laughs> we're uh, we're also joined today uh, by Tyler. That's in not where it's doing it, but. Sitting down. Uh, Robbie C is here with us. Thanks today. for all those kids watching those trick shot videos. <laughs> <laughs> I I was one of those kids, so uh, happy to Damn. be here. Huh? <laughs> and then uh, Dustin, the the old Dustin is back today. Yeah, the inferior, old, not as good, not as new and improved Dustin is here. Also on virtually no calories, so I'm kind of bringing back an old theme from very early days. That someone old, else is going old, through. No, old no, old no calorie. Dustin is here today. We'll see <sighs> yeah, how that plays out. Um, it's well, not going to be pretty. Yeah, we're just going to hop right into it and All get right. into this FPO division uh, crazy rumor mill that has started. So, for those of you who aren't up to speed with this, basically, it started emerging through FPO players. This idea that if the Pro Tour starts losing the, if they continue to lose these legal battles to Nally Ryan, they're going to run out of funds. And they, the, somebody dropped the idea that they could cut the FPO division entirely uh, to remove the cost from that. And then, and to just have it their way, I suppose. Um, so that's the rumor that's taken the disc golf world by storm. Uh, like I said, this has come from multiple FPO sources at this point. So my uh, first question with this, and we'll, we'll talk a bit more of it, but my first question is, do you actually think this is possible or viable, Brody? Do you want do you want to list the sources or do you not have those? Uh, so like the ones where... that I know specifically, Holly Finley is one that I know specifically. And then there was a guy, I think it was Paul Janish, who I think that's the name who had he tweeted a text message that he was alleging was from a FPO player. Um, so those are the okay. two that I've heard. Uh, the, there's uh, also Cat Merch Instagram and Cat Merch's Instagram post. That was like the first one, I think. But Kat a lot Merch. of people thought that that was just referring to specifically the preserve, not right. as opposed was to the, there, whole, the entire tour. Was verification? I'm trying to think. I don't want to. I don't want to leak something that hasn't been leaked. But was there one also oh, from the Disc Golf Pro Tour FPO players group? Yes. Oh, yes, not, yes. I, there was a screenshot. Yes. yes, yes, that's public. That's that was public. also because I was like, I was like, I'm not in that. Wait, I was like, wait, I'm not in that group, and I yeah. have so it. multiple, so, uh, multiple legit sources yes. at this point. Yes, and I, I heard this rumor also prior to the FPO press conference that they did uh, before Preserve, and how there's talks, and who knows exactly where that goes, and. <laughs> You know, I obviously have seen both sides of the coin where some people are like, is this the disc golf pro tour? Just basically creating these fear tactics to try to get their way with Natalie Ryan, not playing in the FPO by basically saying, if Natalie Ryan continues to play, we might not even have an FPO. There's, there's obviously a lot of theories about what's going on. I think them completely cutting the FPO field entirely. I think that's if that does end up happening or if that's something that they are considering, I think that's still down the line. I don't think that's their next move. I would assume the next move would be to strategically play certain tournaments where they know that their policy is going to be held up in those States and not be able to be challenged. Um, if you know, now Ryan has only been successful now in Minnesota, Minnesota, and try to be successful in California, but it, they were able to um, get the appeal. So 
I think if the Disc Golf Pro Tour really does want their policy to hold up in the FPO division, I would say that's their next move. I think cutting the entire FPO field is probably very drastic, but it is possible and obviously it is viable. Yeah, I mean, certainly they have the power. It would be interesting, the repercussions. Tyler, what do you think? Do you think this is a possible move for them? I mean, anything's possible. Um, I'm just not really willing to get too worked up by it until there's a little more substance to it. You know, um, again, anything's possible. And and if you're just looking at finances, I mean, I guess it would be financially beneficial to cut FPO. There's uh, less divisions you have to support. But again, I don't I don't see it being a, an answer to the solution. I think there are a lot of steps to take between now and then. Um, there are more ways you can continue to fight this in court. If it truly is a, a money issue and they can't fight in court, um, again, I think there are people, you know, if, if people are willing to help Natalie Ryan's side, I think you're going to find people to help help fight uh, the pro tour side as well. So, again, it feels like to me like a fear tactic, trying to get people emotionally charged um, and trying to get more support for their case. So, again, there have to be more solutions before cutting the FPO. So, um, it's possible, yes, viable. I, I don't think so, but I guess we'll see. Okay. Okay. Robbie, what do you think? I think it's something that it's, we've always talked about the pro tour being its own thing, operating in its own levels and whatnot, but the PDJ continues to have an influence on the pro tour, whether we like it or not. Uh, and we have seen the precedent already being set for multiple a tiers that are just removing their FPO division. Um, this is happening. I think it's happened three times already in Michigan. Um, it is happening. We see it coming. It is, it's much less of like, it, it's tough because I know we, you've talked about it on grip lock before of this is, it'd be one thing, what voices need to be heard in order for this to happen. I love Tyler's point of like, if there are people willing to support Natalie's side, then there need to be people. There will be people. It's not even a need. Um, so yeah, so I, I agree. I think, it, I think it's very possible. And honestly, I, I think it's, highly likely that we take just the avoidance of it in those states. Um, and then you're going to see, okay, well, where there are iconic influences that are having tour support, uh, you have OTB being connected, right, to making the events of the live skins happen. And that's part of the pro tour offering right now. Uh, so if you cut OTB open and we try to take Stockton out of it, that's going to have a major influence on they're going to want their event to still exist on the pro tour. So um, I, I, I just go to Natalie's quote of I, we're either going to make it happen or we're going to burn it all down. And I think it's incredible that the burning might be here. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Dustin, what do you think? Do you see this as a possibility? Um, I don't think there's a possibility we're going to lose FPO entirely. Uh, I think it is very likely as others have mentioned already that we could avoid certain States where potential lawsuits could appear. Um, you know, there are certain states where it's very clear that they have particular state laws that favor these sorts of situations for Natalie Ryan and certain states that do not have those same protections. And I think that there could be some some gameplay there, I suppose, on the pro tours part to kind of try to pick and choose like their battle, so to speak. Um, I just feel like the disc golf pro tour, I try to do too much to support FPO to let it go. When you think about what they've done when it comes to the purse, when it comes to how much they've been adamant about like, you know, equal coverage, um, you know, with, you know, Joe Mez picking up the FPO lead car post produce, for example, and they've always tried to keep, you know, it together where they're on the same course, they can keep the same, you know, resources being thrown at the live coverage. So I just feel like that you think about the course quality. Yeah. We make fun of like some of the stuff that PDGA has done with FPO with like us women's, but when it comes to the disc golf pro tour, you know, they try to let them play the same quality courses as MPO. And whether you want to argue that T placements or, you know, basket placements are, are not as ideal as they should be. At the end of the day, I think the quality they're, they're trying to match it as best they could. Um, and they also tried to implement this new policy to, to you know, appease or, or help out the FBO division, or at least in their minds, and maybe for some of the FBO players' minds. So I just can't let them see that going all the waste. Uh, I am curious what will happen once we get like an actual like true main lawsuit between Ryan and the pro tour, as opposed to all these like satellite cases we have been seeing in different States and how that will dictate things. I do think that maybe the disc golf pro tour will need help and they can get it. I mean, obviously Natalie's getting a lot of pro bono work. I don't know if the disc golf pro tour can eventually find the same type of deal. You do need to be careful about who you're getting support from though, because that causes all type of PR and political nightmares. Like if you're getting funding from some certain political action committee or whatever the case may be, and then that could get real nasty. Um, I think maybe separating from the PGA needs to happen, though, because I think the biggest problem they're facing is something we talked about before, the inconsistency in the PDGA's policy and what the Disc Golf Pro Tour chose to adopt from that. 
All right, having your own statutes, I think, could be different. Granted, you're probably still going to face some type of lawsuit there anyway. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. I just I just don't see it happening. I don't think they're going to let it happen. Yeah, certainly the the PDGA uh, connection is still making things quite odd and, and very complicated in that uh, respect. So everybody pretty much synony synonymously thinks, you know, and I would agree, this is probably not going to happen. I, I kind of smell the fear tactic, almost like a... You know, we don't know where there hasn't been a statement. We've we've heard basically the whispers of a rumor at this point, a legitimate rumor uh, based on who's seconding it. But it could have just been something said out of frustration. Who knows? But let's let's go down the road just, you know, just to see. Uh, let's say the FBO division actually gets cut. Let's say the Pro Tour is releases a statement uh, at the end of this season or whenever and says we have decided that the FPO division will no longer exist on the disc golf pro tour. What do you think the repercussions would be? Are we, we see new tours arising MPO players walking? What else? Like what are the possible repercussions for something like that happening? Tyler lead off for us, man, speculating, um, potentially a new tour. I, I don't know if, if there'd be enough support for a brand new, you know, female protected tour. Um, I, I could see it happening to where there's more strict rules in place. Um, but I don't know about that. I think there could be some, some MPO players walking. I think there's a lot of support from the MPO or the FPO. So that could be a potential, you know, using their platform to show support. I think the major repercussion would be just, um, fracturing potential partnerships disc golf could have in the future. Uh, if the, if the pro tour, you know, they've already taken a pretty significant stand against, you know, transgender athletes. And if they were to take it this far by completely removing the FPO, um, you know, the sports in a place where, uh, they've got to be set up for growth moving forward. And, and one way that's going to happen, it can happen is through partnerships with different uh, organizations. And, and so by taking this big of a stand, they could be, you know, crippling, I think the future growth of their sport. So I think they would have to really think and be confident that they, that they will have the support they need, even if they do make this decision. Um, and maybe they feel like they do, but to me outside looking in, of course, uh, it seems a bit risky. To, to make this big of a, of a change right now. Um, so that'd be the big thing I would look for is, is what potential partnerships in the future are you um, fracturing or damaging if this decision is made? Yeah. Yeah. Certainly a good point. Um, yeah. It would be, it's difficult to go from having the division to not, it'd be different maybe if it always was a men's tour, but certainly would look interesting. Uh, Robbie, what do you think the repercussions could be? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna name drop here and people are gonna get upset by it. So uh we're just gonna die for it. Why not? Uh the do I think MPO players would walk? I don't I I think I disagree with Tyler and that I don't think anyone would use their platform and just not tour simply to support FBO not being there unless they're in a couple. And I think the MPO players you would see walk are the MPO players that are currently coupled up with major FBO players. And honestly, the ones that would be walking are the ones that cannot financially sustain to be on tour anymore without their significant other being there. These are the Katrina Allen and Austin Hannum setups, the Colton Montgomery and the Kona Montgomery setups, like with them not being on FPO tour, having no reason to be there for the events. I think we would see significant players fall out. Um, you can argue the significance, things like that. But I think the biggest fissure that we would see is honestly one that we want to see happen anyways. And Tyler mentioned it, but the relationship that would be severed is truly the severing of, I think this would be where the PDGA loses contact with the pro tour and the pro tour makes its own stance because the pro tour has already said, this is what we believe should be happening. They've already disagreed with the PDGA. And if that's what it had to come down to, this is where I think the pro tour could go out and find its own funding. And we'd see the final separation. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly was set up. Dustin, what do you think? Um, I think there definitely could be a chance that like if the DGPT drops FPO, that a new tour could arise for FPO, but I feel like they would just fall into the same problem. If they tried to implement a similar policy to this call pro tour, if they're a partner with the PDGA, yada, yada, yada. I think they could find themselves basically in the same boat getting sued, even if they were their own separate thing and they had their own separate policy, there is still discrimination law that could be thrown at them. There could still be lawsuits and we could still go through this whole thing all over again. So a separate tour, I don't think really solves the problem. It just moves it to a new target. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't really see that happening. Um, with that in mind, uh, I think that what would more than likely just have to happen is that you're just likely going to have to revert back to the older FPO policy from a couple of years ago, in which case we're right back to where we started last season or so, which is kind of awkward. So if you do that on a separate tour, 
might as well do it with the disc called pro tour i know there's like something to be said about wanting to hold your ground and stand your ground and not give in and, and not you know you believe that you are correct you believe in this policy and you don't want to retract it back but if it comes down to not having fpo at all or having fpo with the older policy i'm sure there's going to be some discussions there on like what people would rather do i'm going to say straight up i don't see anybody walking from the disc golf pro tour in this situation and my reasoning is a little bit different not with couples and things of that nature but because i feel like most people see the disc golf pro tour are trying to do the best that they can to handle this situation and they are simply losing in court you know in particular with this minnesota state case i could see it i could see people walking if people felt that the disc golf pro tour are being incompetent or negligent or not listening to their concerns or not trying to, to fight for them but i think that's the case and so i think people understand the disc golf pro tours in the pickle and they're not just going to walk away from it and, and, and kill it just because they're losing unfortunately at the end of the day we just need more definitive case law we need more definitive studies and we need like some real legal action but this debate's going to wage on forever probably yeah, yeah, very true. Uh, Brody, what could you see happening if they were to eliminate FPO? Uh, I mean, I don't... I could maybe see some of the top female players like trying to create some sort of tour and find some sort of backing that way. Uh, um, would I see like someone like how the disc golf pro tour got started. I, I don't see that it's, it's very hard a lot of times to find that person that's willing to kind of just have money flow from the, their pockets without seeing a return uh, and maybe never see a return. Right. And so it's tough to find those people that are passionate about a sport. Um, so I don't see that necessarily happening, but it could be something of long lines where they pick some a tiers that are pretty big and they go kind of, in that area and try to play courses like that. I don't know. Uh, the MPO players walking. I don't know. I'm guessing Robbie mentioned this cause Dustin kind of said that he doesn't see this. I couldn't hear Robbie. So I'm not sure I could see, um, MPO players that are in relationships with some of the FPO players, not necessarily like doing like a boycott or like walking off. Like I'm, I'm assuming that's what you're, you're stating here, but I could see them wanting to still tour with their girlfriends or wives and, and going and doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this is going to happen, I guess, just to kind of put in a, a, a bow on it. My, my stance on this has always been that the disc golf pro tour looks at um, the FPO and the MPO divisions as one, like it's a, I always say it's like one product. They don't view it as we have two products and we're going to market this one and market this one. And if this one does better then we're going to put, they do a pretty good job of putting the same resources, the same time, the same effort into both. And I think that's actually probably a good thing for the future. Um, I, I just don't see the benefits really of taking away the FPO division as much as the, you know, disadvantages and the negatives that come with it. So I don't foresee it happening. Yeah. I mean, I think we could all agree. It would be a PR nightmare to try and, and deal with that. I mean, you'd have droves of FPO players losing livelihoods. It would, it would be, it would be ugly certainly. And I, I think uh, we can all agree. We hope it doesn't come to that. It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, if they decide to release a statement or anything like that, it, you know, with the rumors going around like that, it's an, it's been an interesting few days for that situation. Certainly um, quick points update before we pivot kind of into uh, a little bit more about the Casey wide open and away from the FPO subject, uh, Brody and Tyler at three points right now, Robbie at four and Dustin in the lead at six. Um, so the Casey wide open took place this past week. Uh, we had, a little bit of a different style event, you know, Hunter and I were actually looking over the courses that have been played on tour this year. And, and it's really significant these days, uh, just how open the course schedule is. We don't play a ton of wooded golf. Um, some of the courses that have been played wooded, you know, like the champions cup, for example, that's not even a pro tour course, you know, really that's the PDGA running that. Um, so seeing the, the, uh, bad rock Creek course was a little bit different, uh, from a viewer standpoint compared to previous events we've been watching on tour. So my questions are, what are your thoughts on the wood slash open hybrid style course that was featured at the KC wide open? Did it demonstrate an effective use of wooded golf that could be featured at an elite event in the future? Um, Robbie, you can lead off for us. Yeah, so I to to say it set the way is interesting to me because the field strength was so it's the lowest field strength that we've seen in any event on the pro tour this entire year. So 
automatically we have to decide like, okay, how much validity are we putting there? Obviously, Ganon Berg gets pushed. He comes out on top, wins it. Some facts that I thought were interesting. If you look at the holes that were played in MPO, uh, on the most aggressive or on the best scoring day out of all of them, only nine of the holes averaged under par. And of those nine holes, the the most scored hole was 0.36 under par. So, and that's hole two. When we go to like round two, there were only four holes that averaged under par. So I think from a scoring perspective, people talk about they want to see tight, aggressive golf because the scoring fests and whatnot are, some people think they're really exciting to watch. Some people think they're really boring to watch. We saw scoring separation happen. And I think Woods Golf can definitely bring that into play, but it's Woods Golf with the addition of OB. Obviously we saw uh, Champions Cup where it was your Woods Golf, but it wasn't necessarily... Um, creating that scoring separation. So the fact that half the holes people were averaging above par and half the holes people were averaging below, like that is fantastic scoring separation and allows us to have, we went into the final day with multiple people storming for the lead. I think it makes for an exciting event. Um, and so, yeah, I think we did see the blueprint of how do you combine woods, open fairways and OB without making it necessarily a, yeah, like just gimmicky. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I see your point. Absolutely. Uh, Dustin, what'd you think of the course? Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the course for the most part. There were some specific things I would critique, which I'll do in a second. But I generally feel like a hybrid style course gives you the best of both worlds if done correctly because it allows different challenges for players. We get a parody of shot selection. Uh, we get to test, you know, shot shaping in the woods and we get to test, you know, dealing with OB and out in the open. Uh, you also get to just deal with like risk versus reward on some of the, how the holes were laid out. And so that is ideal disc golf is, is parody diversity, you know, challenging players in different ways throughout the course. Uh, that's what I like to see more than anything um, at this course. You know, for example, I thought the opening two holes were good. Hole one was a nice risk reward hole but it still gave you that gentle handshake that Brody sometimes talks about where you can play it safe if you want to for birdie and just, you know, make sure you stay in bounds. But if you want to get aggressive and try to attack for Eagle, you can take that risk. Uh, and so it's kind of cool. Then hole two gives you that immediate change up with a gap shot where you have to decide, Hey, am I going to try to hit this gap? Am I going to try to go over the top of it? You know, I got to land on an Island. Like it, it immediately provides you a little bit of challenge. I thought was really cool. Now I will say, I thought the whole three T shot seemed a little bit too rough. I think if you're in situations where throwing crazy cut rollers and forehand rollers are a primary option for players off the tee, then there probably needs to be some cleaning up being done. I like woods golf. I like hitting gaps, but I do think that you have to be a little bit more reasonable with like consistency. And I feel like hole three was, was, was a struggle that once you got out of, of that gap, I thought it got really awesome because then it was risk versus reward, whether you want to the green or not or lay up. And, and so then it got better as the hole went on. I enjoyed the rest of the front nine too. Uh, I thought hole 10 was in their nice, you know, high risk reward hole that created scoring separation. Um, I think 11, maybe you could remove that small center tree because it's still a gap shot with the low ceiling. It seemed a little gimmicky. Um, I think the big problem for me though was hole 17. The tee shot I thought was a nightmare on that hole. I think that that shows that like maybe sometimes wood golf gets a little bit too extreme and can be cleaned up a little bit. And then to wrap it up, I thought hole 18 was a good finishing hole. So yeah, again, I thought the diversity is good. I like hybrid courses the best. It gives you the, all that you want on one course. And I was a big fan. Yeah, there were certainly, there were a few holes I can understand like 17, like you mentioned when it's forehand rollers, the primary play, is that really what we want? Especially in the woods. Uh, Brody, what did you think of the course? Yeah, I, I actually liked it. I, I thought it gave me a little bit, um, my comp would be like Pickard Park. It was kind of similar in the ways of where it had good uh, fairway definitions on the open holes with some OB. Did have some of those wooded gap hole uh, gap shots as well. I really like two holes that kind of are reverse, like a reverse where you're not throwing a massive tee shot to then having to throw a you know, technical second shot I like those, but also like having, you have to get a good tee shot, hitting a gap out into a spot to then be able to attack. We saw a lot of people on holes. And I think the scoring separation comes really in, uh, you know, jumps out a lot more on those par fours is into to be able to birdie if you hit an early tree or something sometimes it's even hard to get your second shot into that position so now playing for par becomes very very challenging 
And it, it, it makes you have to, you know, have a little bit more of a course management idea. And that OB that that course did have allows to where if you do throw a bad first shot, you don't get to your disc and go, okay, how do I just throw this as far as I possibly can to get as close to the basket? That OB protects people from just throwing, you know, crazy shots and actually having to throw a shot that's a skillful shot. So I actually liked it a lot. I thought it was a good mix between the two. I prefer, as I would say, versus um, having two courses, you know, one open, one wooded. I, I If you can find a high, I think that's definitely the plug. Look like they are still kind of tweaking some things and can kind of fix some things, maybe move some T-pads back a little bit, maybe move around but it looked like as far as like the lay of the land goes it looks like this could be a future elite event and hot take i would say again, dynamic disc has a lot of pull but i would say get rid of emporia country club get rid of ddo put all your eggs in this basket in kansas city <laughs> dang well i would certainly that would certainly be a big move for them to uh to move away from their precious Emporia. Uh, Tyler, what do you think? Do you think they should move as well? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I don't know if Brody looked at my notes, but that's in my notes. Um, <laughs> being a, being a native Kansas city guy, I'm a little bit biased on this, but I think there's a lot of accuracy in, in what I'm going to say. Um, man, I think this, this course was a stellar host for this event. Uh, this event has been going a long time, 40. I think this is year 41. First time it's been on the tour since 2016. And and I know that last year with the Kansas City wide open, I think every day was at a different course. And so they were just kind of trying to keep it going until Bad Rock was was um, up to par, if you will, pun intended. So um, I think they did an incredible job getting this course ready to go. Heard a lot of great feedback from players who were there um, and from people who watched. So I'm just super proud of the Kansas City disc golf community for making it happen. Um, yeah, great mix of open shots, water carries, uh, I enjoyed the same dynamic that Dustin mentioned with hole one leading into hole two. Um, super proud of the um, the money they brought in and the purse they were able to pay out. I think that's huge for a silver event. It was great to see Ali Smith, a Kansas City native, winning on the FBO side. Again, you, you have to acknowledge, you know, the the field was definitely not uh, not as competitive as it could be. Um, but hopefully, this year we'll get more players out in the future. And man, if, if like Brody said, if we move away from Emporia and come to Kansas city, uh, can I just tell you, this would be an amazing stop for the pro tour to have an elite event. Um, plenty of other courses to play while people are here, plenty of things to do. Two major critiques, two major critiques. Number one, we can do a lot better with the trophy. I think the trophy <laughs> was about, about this big and with Gannon <laughs> holding it. It was about this big. Um, second critique we got to do better with scheduling because on Saturday, Taylor Swift was at Arrowhead stadium Ooh. and I think Kansas city was a mess. Um, maybe our gallery attendance could be a bit better if we can avoid that. But all that to say a huge win this weekend. I was super proud and uh, yeah, great course running into the Taylor Swift eras tour is not mm. what you want to do right there. That's, yeah, that every time. that's yeah. a, yeah, that's a tough one. knows Swifties are the biggest disc golf fans in the world. Exactly. Hey, hand up, you know? Yeah, I'm thinking about all the dads that had to take their daughters there and didn't get to watch disc golf. We're there not spilling that hey. blood out here, Brody. There you go. Uh, well, that, was, that was I'm speak facts, <laughs> and we speak now. You know what I'm saying? Especially her version. I, oh my I, I, goodness, I, 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 this guy's quick. <laughs> um. All right. So going the kind of started staying along the same lines as what we were talking about after this event, you know, I've kind of been on this like internal struggle lately of like, what should disc golf course design look like on the pro tour? You know, we've seen, like I said, like I mentioned before, a lot of the courses we've seen this year have been much more open, heavy OB, you know, it creates separation. It's easy to, to film. And it also is easy to accommodate galleries. We see that side of things. But admittedly, watching a lot more wooded golf for the first time in, in a little bit was a little was like refreshing for me to you know see you know ultimately there is a lot of charm to wooded golf that's that's where our disc golf does shine often so you know my question here is as professional disc golf course design continues to find its identity, what should the ratio of shot making to course management be on the ideal course? And, and to kind of explain that further, I would consider Winthrop gold, the ultimate course management challenge, right? You still have to throw shots, but there is so many decisions to make on that course. Just every single shot is where do I, where should I land? Should I try this or that? It's very much a course management style event. 
Um, and then I would consider um, WR Jackson a shot maker's course. Not a lot of OB. It's very much put your foot on the gas, try to birdie every single hole. That strategy doesn't really ever change unless you're talking about maybe the final hole and you're laying up for your par or whatever. Um, so I'm trying to figure out my mind, and I, I honestly need help with, like, what is the best ratio? What should we be looking for? Should we be aiming one way versus another? Um, Dustin, what do you think? So I'm going to be a bit of a broken record here, but I feel like it really just all comes down to balance. I think when you're looking at the course of the entire disc golf pro tour season for the year and the types of courses you're playing along the way. And then if you're just looking at a specific course that you're playing that particular moment, I think just generally you want to, to have that balance between, you know, like I said, a shot makers course or a, a decision making course or, you know, some blend of both of them on the same course, which I think the Kansas city wide actually did quite as well provide. And I think there's a few other courses on tour. You could probably say the same thing. You know, I'm definitely one of those people that um, likes to see great shots rewarded and likes to see good shots. So have a chance to make something happen and then see bad shots penalized. Um, I like the idea of, of forcing players to make decisions throughout the course. Again, I thought holes 10 and 18 and, and hole one at the Kansas city wide open were perfect examples. on like, how aggressive do you want to get? Do you want to play it safe? Do you want to actually go for it to try to get the birdie and get strokes on the field? Then you're going to put yourself at risk of boging. If you do go for it and you do want to going out of bounds because the greens that they were trying to land on were quite small um, and, and tumultuous and, and, you know, different types of, you know, landscaping and things of that nature. So I enjoy those types of holes, but I do also like the idea of challenging people throughout a disc golf course on a diversity of different shot shaping. And so what I mean by that is, is like maybe each hole does have a very defined line or strategy that is optimal. Although every now and then we do see players break those holes by finding some type of secret route or crazy throw. Uh, thank you, Gannon Burrow, hole 12, Kansas City wide open. Um, but I, I do think that even if you do have those specific lines or strategies that are optimal for that hole, as long as the next hole and the next hole force you to do something different and therefore we are challenging an entire skill set instead of one particular type of shot then i'm okay with that right again i just want to see diversity i, I want to see people having to do different things throughout around and i want to challenge the skill ceiling with shots that only the best players are going to be able to accomplish on a consistent level uh, and so that's kind of where i'm at i'm not sure if that really answered your question but i tried my yeah. best no that makes sense and honestly diversity of shots is a, is a good point too is like sometimes it's about just making sure we're not throwing the same shot over and over uh brady what do you think do i sound like a robot or no you sound all right Okay, this is like one of the worst connections I've had. I don't know if it's on my end or what. I guess it is on my end. But I mean, you are in Norway. Um, it's not your fault. We love you. So something <laughs> I've been thinking about is the usage of Mandos. And, you know, Dustin brought up the Ganon Burr where they've, you know, implemented a Mando mid-tournament. And I thought it could be on certain holes. It could be very interesting because I've obviously have talked about playing different tee pads on certain days moving the pins for certain days. And that's, I think a little bit more work to do where we could essentially have a tree and say like today on Friday, first round, we are oh. going to play Mando left. And then on round uh, the next round, we're going to go Mando, right? And so you can basically have the same exact hole. Don't have to add anything no tee pads, no extra baskets, spots, or anything like that. And you basically make it now to where we're attacking that with like a turnover backhand on the first day. And then the next day is like a hyzer pushing backhand or a turnover forehand or a high. You, I think that could make some kind of courses a little bit more exciting than seeing the same shot from four people back to back to back all three days or four days in some situations like Champions Cup where you're just seeing the same shot over and over. So that was one thing. And then another one I just wanted, like, I want to just break down hole one real quick on uh, at Bad Rock. I think that hole, not a good hole one. First off, I'll say that. I don't think we should have these drivable par fours right off the gate. I think that hole as like a 16 or a 17 would be an incredible hole at, at that point in the time. Hole one, not, not a huge fan of the placement. But the actual hole itself is one of my favorite holes without playing it, obviously, but one of my favorite holes uh, on tour so far. And if you break it down, your tee shot, yes, you can play an easy kind of hyzer backhand into the landing zone. But if you go too far left, you end up having a blind approach shot. 
So the more left you go, the safer you are away from the water, but you will now have a much harder shot because it's blind. You're having to throw it out farther around the water and then into the green. The other thing I really like about that hole is the trouble is on the right. The trouble is the water near the green. So if you throw something too wide, never comes back, you have to basically rethrow or you advance, you know, 50 or 100 feet, whatever it is to the water's edge, rethrow. So what are most players going to do? They're going to err on the side of missing 20 feet left. Well, what's 20 feet left? It's a hill. It's a, a very drastic hill that goes down. So now instead of on a lot of holes we play where the greens are just landed anywhere you want, or in some cases we do have OB on the right side, players are just going to throw a hyzer to 20 feet left, and then they have a putt. Here, if you go 20 feet left, you're, you, you will skip down the hill to 45, 50, 60 feet. We saw tons of shots that weren't coming in that fast going way far down, and now you have a 45, 50-foot uphill putt with OB behind the basket. That design of where you have trouble on one side, where you're like, this is really, really bad, but if you go left, it's still bad. I love that design, and a lot of times we just don't get to see that a lot in these courses. We just have one bad spot, and then everything else is fine, and that's just too much space for how easy it is to throw a disc and to control a disc in those areas. I thought that was really well designed, and I would love to see more people have that. Maybe you have something where you're like, short's really, really bad, but long is also kind of bad. It's not as bad, but it is not great. Right. I would love to see more like that, and uh, I thought that hole was perfectly designed. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to say that Mando idea is one of the better ideas I've heard in a while. That, that might be genius. I don't know why I never thought of that. Um, I hope the Pro Tour is listening because that, that's a great idea. Uh, Tyler, what do you th what do you think about the ratio? Well, uh, as far as the ratio goes, I think for me to give you a number, uh, of course, I love a good mix. I think everybody would say we need a good balance. I'd say about 60% shot making, 40% decision making. I think that's kind of where it's a good a good balance. Um, I, I like where Brody's going with hole one at KCWO being later in, in, in the in the round. It's a great hole. The only thing I would say is if it's hole 16 and three people are tied and Gannon drives up like he did in the first round and hits the power line, uh, that's a pretty deflating thing to have happen, you know, at the end of a round. But other than that, yeah, well, uh, ideal world, no power <laughs> lines, please. No random exactly. things that can hit your disc. I know, I know that was a, a wild start, but, but anyway, yeah, you know, I, I think again, a great example this weekend, hole one, a lot of decision-making, a lot of ways you can start your round and then hole two tight tunnel gap up to the Island. Great mix. And actually I, I'm going to disagree. I think Dustin mentioned this in a previous point with hole three, uh, seeing weird shots off the tee. Um, if you could make Gannon Burr throw a roller with a putter on a tee shot, I think it's pretty good, uh, pretty good, uh, coverage, pretty fun, fun thing to watch. But, um, anyway, yeah. So I, I think, I think a good mix 60%, you know, shot making 40% decision-making, um, is, is a good, a good way to, to again, showcase well-rounded play, right? We want to see these guys being challenged, doing, having a variety of, of shots they have to make. Um, you know, there are players out there who, who have a weak point in their game, whether it's their forehand or, or whatever else it might be. And so I think that's the thing that woods golf does is it exposes those weaknesses. And I think that's what we need to continue, you know, creating that, that separation we keep talking about. One thing I do wonder, and this was mentioned with hole 12 is why, why course developers don't just automatically make, uh, a fair way of a hole you're not playing. Why is it just not automatically OB? I mean, is that, is that extra work? Extra, extra work. work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right though. <laughs> I mean, cause again, like, you know, they, they put the Mando sign in after, after the first round and he still found a way around it. But, um, anyway, that's just something I wondered cause I've seen that happen several times and, and they mentioned the safety thing. I mean, if somebody yeah. had been over there, he could have smoked somebody. So, um, anyway, very, very valid point. Very valid point. And I mean, yeah, it's like the idea, it's the idea that even on a disc golf course where, or a hole where maybe OB isn't the focus, like maybe it's not a tight OB, there should still be like, okay, you can go into the woods a certain point, but then if it's so ridiculous or like you're on another fairway at that point, it should be OB. But yeah, it just comes down to who's going to rope sure. it all. Um, honestly, Robbie, what do you think? So the fans watching, let me know your support in the comments. I'm going to try to keep it within the time limit and earn my three points in that time limit. So here we go. Uh, I think if I'm going the ratio, uh, 
that Tyler said he goes 60-40. I think I'm actually going to go 80-20 in terms of decision-making versus shot-shaping because I believe that when you're doing decision-making, you have to shot-shape, whereas when you shot-shape, you don't always have to make decisions. We saw W.R. Jackson, you're throwing long bombs, firing them off in the distance. I don't really have to care about the repercussions because if I just smoke it up there, like I can make it work. They are the top players in the world. We know they can shot-shape. We want to see if they're course managers as well. Course management, the harder you make these course management holes, if conditions actually fire up again, course management becomes even more vital. We talk about, uh, you look at Winthrop Gold, like you said, is your your gold standard, uh, pun intended, of that. If we're playing Winthrop Gold in 30, 40 mile an hour winds, suddenly that course becomes insane. It already is tough, but you can take hard courses and make them even more difficult. And how many times have we seen the the wind element of defense out there as, oh, this course is actually really difficult if it's windy, things like that. If we force players into course management, it, the elements will stop mattering as much in terms of like it will stop making courses feel so exposed. We can already make those courses more difficult and truly like the best player on the weekend should be the one making the right decisions who also has the ability to back it up, which is what we saw this weekend with Casey wide open. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think honestly, what I'm getting with the point I'm getting to and Robbie, I think that's a really good point. Like if you are decision-making does sometimes still require, you know, that still requires you to throw the shot after you made the decision. I think a lot of times what happens is we just don't get courses decide to stick to a theme and they don't really, you know, go away from it. So like what happens is you have, um, a course that's t- a lot more open and roped and they kind of stick to that. Or you have a course that's strictly wooded, not a lot of OB and it sticks to that where maybe what was so refreshing, um, about the Casey wide open course at bad rock Creek is like, we got b- the best of both worlds. We got like, okay, here's a few holes where it's just hit a gap type golf, but then you're going to have enough separation. Um, maybe what we found out this event is that you don't need an entire course full of, you know, giant potholes in the road. You just need enough to make, like you were saying earlier, Robbie, like half the holes play over par and half of them play under. Uh, that might be what it comes down to. Um, all right. Well, before we get into our elimination round right now, Robbie and Brody are tied at nine. Uh, Dustin has lead at 10. So I think we're going to need an, an additional debate to, to see who gets into into the final round. So maybe I'm also, I'm also happy to pass my proxy vote off to Brody based on one of the topics. Uh, I I'm going to be honest. Uh, I'd like to donate one of my points to him uh, to even the score. Cause I'm really curious to hear Brody's thoughts on the initial opening uh, debate. And I think <laughs> yeah. the world will be too. So you're, you're going to so see you're donating a point. If I'm allowed to do that for a debate night first, you are allowed <laughs> to donate points. Absolutely. Okay. I will donate a point, point to Brody donated. to tie it up. What is this? All right. <laughs> I've earned my one point lead over both these fools, no matter who goes up in the final. What is yeah, this Robbie, Robbie's like, I'll just donate all my points. What is that? To be, to be fair, though, the fans for a really long time have been asking for that. The two people that go into the finals go zero zero and you just get a point for Look, winning the I will argument. accept this challenge but that's i what do people just want, want my yeah. i do I, just want my my thoughts heard that's all i said it, i just want to be acknowledged i said that's it in all. the this last might be the future. round i'm a man of the Robbie people might have debate <laughs> yeah. night. i'm a man of he the people in the comments <laughs> show me the support people <laughs> there's all right, well, three questions in the finals it should always be like two to one or three to zero well it does always end up being it usually usually the way i usually down by two you're already down by two. You have to win all three to win. Do that better seems... throughout the rest yeah, of the do show. Do better throughout the rest of the show. You should be able to build a lead. I, I firmly believe that. I'm keeping I'm my points. One. I'm not. The, I'm not the one giving points I, out. Tyler, it, and, it, and it's tied right now. So that's that's all that matters. You're tied up. So you know, shoot your I, shot. Again, do I still get to me. pick who goes first since I had the one point <laughs> I do, advantage? I do not care if I win or not. But the point is, is like this is what the fans want. The no, fans I, want I, equal fine. I am, I am fine with Well, they're going to get it. They're going to get it right here. The fans here. just turned off the video. So we just lost them all with that whole debate. They uh, turned off the video so 10 or 20 <laughs> minutes ago. Yeah. Dustin, yeah. Dustin, Dustin yeah. you you do, you should retain the right to decide okay. who goes first because yeah, I, I, I will right. oblige. So what this, a, is a, this is a compromise that I am happy with. Yeah. So do you want to go first? or second i do want to take the box yes all right let's head into our rapid fire round all right three topics um all three topics quite different this time uh and very much open-ended i would say so we'll see what happens dustin you're going to lead off for us uh first question 
which is a bigger deal. I guess I'll give a little bit of context. We just had the uh, the world's sponsor, presenting sponsor announced. It's been, it made a little bit of a splash in the disc golf world, L.L. Bean. Uh, I think they had been rumored in previous years to like get involved in disc golf, but this time it's happening. They are the presenting sponsor of Worlds. And with that announcement came the announcement of a $275,000 purse for Worlds, higher than any other Worlds before. I think this is the highest purse other than the Tour Championship ever in disc golf. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, so super large purse, really cool sponsors. My question is, which is a bigger deal? LL Bean as a brand coming on as a presenting sponsor for Worlds or the monetary purse increase that they bring with them. Dustin. All right, you're going to hate this fence answer, but I feel like there is a very distinct difference. And so in the short term, I think the money is what's most important because it's going to be great for the players' wallets. It's going to be great for headlines to spread news about this, maybe outside of the disc golf world, as well as just within the disc golf space to bring attention to the event and to show how awesome that we're able to build the purses. Uh, it's going to be just great for chatter throughout the scene and shows like we're doing right now. And it's just going to be a talking point, which is great to bring attention to the sport. Now, in the long term, I think that the brand deal is more important. Because one of the big things that I think Disc Golf suffers from is not getting non-endemic sponsors. Like, we get a few. We had Barbasol, obviously, sponsor the Pro Tour finale last year. We've had a couple of others here and there that come through. But a lot of what we see in the Disc Golf space right now is relying upon endemics, whether it be disc companies, shoe companies that make Disc Golf-type shoes or whatever. And, and you can go down the line, apparel, so on and so forth. So I think the idea that you're bringing in a non-endemic sponsor opens the door for possibilities for future non-endemic sponsors to come in. Uh, mm -hmm. the, especially if things go well, then other non-endemics see that. And I think it's also evidence that Disc Golf Pro Tour is using their business development department to be able to go out and reach out to to, to different brands. Uh, and I think that's good news for the future of the tour. Very valid points. Very fancy answer, though, Dustin. Very, very much on the fence there because, I mean... I want to know which one is more important. Like, I mean, those are just, those are just the points. I'm going to go long terms more important, but I think the short term okay. money is also very good. Do, go. Brody, what do you, what do you think? I think the big question here is like, if LLB wasn't the presenting sponsor, what would the purse be? Right. If we didn't have, if we didn't have this big company come in, are, is LLB, are we charging LLB more then we would charge another presenting sponsor because they're LL Bean and we know they have a big deep wallet or is it just their name and they're literally paying the same exact thing that Discraft would pay or uh, grip or whatever. That's the question that really needs to be asked. And if that's the case, then obviously the name of the company is the only thing that matters here because the purse wouldn't change. Look, if we got purse clearly has changed. Compared right. to past that, events with other sponsors, but I, but I see well, the yeah, point. Also, all the other tournaments have gone up too. I mean, we literally just had some of the biggest elite events. Portland Open was the biggest elite event ever. So, like, the question is like, all purses are just going up. That is a good point. That's it's fair. like, it's like, That's did fair. they go to LL Bean and say and try and price gouge them, or did they yes. just offer them what they were offering to everybody this year, and they just happened Correct. to take it? So that, that, that is, is that's fair. That, that, I'll, I'll, that's, a that's a good point. That's a good point, Brody. I retreat um, back some of my resistance, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a valid but, point. But that being said, I think the one, the one big thing that's missing right now at a lot of these course uh, tournaments really is like the activation. We talk about it all the time going to an event. It's not solely all always just about the play in between the, the ropes, if you will. It's about the activation that's going outside. What else is, are you bringing to the event? And really at most of these events and I, we'll see what LL Bean does, but at most of these events, it's just a company that pays a little bit of money to just have their name attached to things and then have advertisements throughout the coverage. And that's it. What we really right. want to see here is we want someone that is actually looks at disc golf as, wait a second, this isn't just a marketing thing. This is something that we can have boots on the ground and we can actually have some activations on the ground and really get our name attached to something and have some, you know, momentum, if you will, you guys all love talking about momentum. Right. And <laughs> what would be really interesting. And this is the thing. I don't know if the Barbasol deal was a one-year deal. I don't know if they announced that when they did, or if it was a multi-year deal, but I'm very curious to see kind of where that goes. And I would be very curious to see kind of where this goes as well. If this is something that isn't worth LL Bean's time, they're going to be gone. This is a one and yeah, done thing. Right. So Certainly. it's going to be really interesting to see what does the Disc Golf Pro Tour do to try to make LL Bean stick around? Because I think that's the biggest thing is if LL Bean says, you know what? 
we're going to be the title sponsor for Worlds for the next 10 years. Right. That is a major thing because now they have put in uh, you know, the time and investment saying like this is something that's important to us. Certainly. You know, well, it'll be interesting to me is like if LL Bean also uses this as an opportunity to splurge their product into the disc golf space. To my knowledge, they don't right. have like a disc golf product, correct? I mean, I know yeah. that they make bags, obviously, it's, but mostly the, like school bags and stuff yeah, like that. It's like the crossover of outdoor right. wear. One thing that they so are be doing interesting if that does something. Well, as far as activation is concerned, um, they did announce that they are bringing the iconic bootmobile to the worlds, <laughs> which is a giant bus that looks like a boot. And they're going to be, it's like a pop-up shop. They're going to be there selling product out of it. So activation through the roof. Am I the only um, one when I think of LL Bean, I think of bean bags? Does anyone else come to make that? Them. No. They make them. I, I always had backpacks from LL Bean. Yeah, that's the what I know them for. Yeah. they. they I mean, they, they do a number of things. Their big thing, honestly, back in the day was like, they did a lot of embroidered custom things. If you wanted to get your name on something, LL Bean, like that was like did their they have thing. brick and mortar stores though? No idea. No they got a pop-up shop though in the shape of a boot. There's like 30 of them across the country, so not a lot, but there's okay, not okay. a few. Okay. I, was they, gonna say, they, I don't think like, they're in malls or anything. Well, I learned right. today the name. Do you guys know LL Bean is named after the founder whose name is uh Leon Leonwood Bean? Heck that yeah. is that's the name. That's a sick Leon name. Leonwood Bean. <laughs> Um, so there you go. Uh, good yeah, call to point. abbreviate that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> good, good points there all around. Uh, we, Brody does, uh, take a one point lead now heading into our set, uh, second topic and he will go first here. Um, so as we are heading into Europe, we have the PCS open and then the European open. One thing that's very noticeable about them is the pro tour field that goes to Europe is very small. Some really big players missing from it. Um, if you look, I mean, I think the FPO field in, total for PCS was like 22 uh, competitors. So we, we definitely see weaker fields. When we go to Europe, understandable. But my question here is how much do these smaller fields at this tournaments diminish from the event in particular, the level of difficulty? Um, you know, how much would you consider that into somebody's win and so on? Brody, what do you think? I mean, I think last year with the travel being such a question mark with COVID and everything, I think that really hurt the event. I think European Open was going to be actually a pretty well attended major last year from the American side until that kind of happened. Um, this year, looking at it, I don't know really outside of a handful of got top 20 guys, it's a pretty stacked field. And you're going to have all the Europeans playing as well who haven't really been playing the last few events stateside. So to me, the top 30, top 40 are going to be very strong. I think the bottom of the field, you know, the 100 to 50, that's going to be a lot weaker than maybe what you would see at elite events in the States. But how much, how much have we really talked about those people really mattering, right? Like you obviously you are going to have, you know, the Parker Welks and stuff where they pop off and become a story. But if you don't have that, no one really cares. And if you look last year, the European Open was probably one of the more exciting events, I would say, for fans. And you had two guys that literally just ran away with the tournament. So I don't think people are afraid of like, oh, if there's only two players, I don't think that matters. I think the Kansas City Wide Open also brought a lot of attention because Gannon was playing in it. Having that one big name there, I think also helps. Um, so I don't think it's that massive. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Um, especially as far as like fans go, I think players wise, I, I know a lot of us are, you know, you play okay. You're probably going to finish 10 to 15 spots higher than you would if you were playing this elite event in the States. So I know some of the pros are probably happy about that, but I think this year, the, the, the major over here, the European open, it's, it's going to be a pretty well attended uh, event. Yeah. Okay. So Brody, Brody, not thinking it's going to be too big of a deal. Dustin, what do you think? I also don't think it's going to be too big of a deal. Uh, obviously, the fans always show up for these European events, so it's not going to diminish it from an eyes perspective. I think the coverage is also going to be excellent, as it always is when the Disc Golf Pro Tour is involved directly with bringing coverage to the event. So I think that that's all going to be great. The prestige is still there because the European Open's a major. And then just to kind of add on to the fact about like the field itself, seven of the top 10 MPO players are going to be at PCS, and eight of the top 10 players are going to be at the European Open. Then you go outside of that, you have Dickerson, who's number 11, AB number 12, Bradley Williams, number 13, Matteo, number 14. And then you have a couple other top 20 guys that are going to be there. You know, Alden Harris, I think, comes to mind as like a top 20 player that's going to be there. Ezra, um, you know, there's going to be a ton of F MPO talent. Like the only names you're really missing, I think, are Gannon Burr 
uh, Simon Lazat, who obviously had like special circumstances on why he's not going. Um, and then like maybe one other player that that isn't going that I can think of. Uh, Isaac's not at PCS, but he's at uh, the European Open. So FPO is a little bit different. You know, obviously you're missing like Holland Handley or you're missing a couple other like really big name players, but you still have like a pretty solid field. So I think all in all, the field strength's actually pretty good. I think the level of difficulty of competition is going to be good at the top. Again, maybe some of your middle of the pack guys are going to place a little bit better. Um, but I think as far as getting the win or getting like a podium or a top five, I think it's still going to be just as difficult as pretty much any other event this year. And uh, yeah, I think the courses are great and everything. And I think it's going to be a good time. Yeah, fair enough. And I mean, Can I this add two points real quick, just real May. fast. Two, two, two big points is last year. We did not have the Kristen versus page battle overseas. I True. think that's what everyone's going to be really looking forward to on the FPO side. And then, People think Kristen was at that tournament. She was not. Yeah. And then uh, also Paul has now these last couple of tournaments have, has looked like he's kind of becoming in form a little bit. We haven't seen him play against any of the U S guys in a while. I think that also will be a big storyline going into the European open as well Is yeah. Paul's back kind of with everyone and, and where, where does he stand? Yeah, so those are two big stories that didn't really happen last year. Well, that kind of segues into our last topic. I will say, yeah, one, the page Kristen battle definitely helped along by the fact that Paige won it last year. If she hadn't won it, people don't really consider it a battle these days. Um, but seeing that she did win it last year, definitely a narrative. And yeah, your point with Paul, that segues into my last uh, question here and kind of has to do with what that the bottom half of the field may look like and that depth that we mentioned, because this is uh, kind of in relation. So Paul obviously was in Europe weeks before anybody else. I believe he ended up going like three for six uh, on the European events that he played. Uh, and certainly, you know, he won three of the last five of those after the first one, no huge hiccups. So there's an, there, there's definitely an argument to be made that he's coming into form, but I don't know. I'm really not sure where I stand on it yet. Dustin, you can lead off for us here, uh, down one point to Brady in the final round. Uh, does Paul's time in Europe show us anything about the quality of the European players? Uh, I guess you could add or to the quality of where Paul's game is at right now. Uh, or did it give us more questions than answers headed into the, the elite series event? Yeah, it's a tough one because his first event was like a bomb. Like he placed 31st. I feel like that's kind of the outlier uh, yeah. of the first of the six events. So I'm kind of going to leave that one out. When you look at the, the next five, like I said, he won three of the five. He came second at Crocol or however you pronounce that. Then he came sixth at Kona Piste. Uh, so overall, like pretty solid. Like that's kind of the results you expect him to get in these situations and even expect to get over here if he was playing the elite events and things of that nature. Um, I think the thing is, is that like most of the players that seen the challenge Paul at these events are players that we already knew about because of their time on the disc golf pro tour previous. So I think of like Jakob Simmerod or Nicholas Antala or silver lot, obviously Bradley Williams goes over there. He's a North American guy saying what James Proctor. Um, so I feel like we didn't see too many European names up in the top of the leaderboard with Paul consistently that we hadn't already really seen before. And even some of the ones that did pop up that were new, um, they weren't like at other events along the way, if that makes any sense. Like they were only at like one of the events. So, you know, you think of someone, uh, I think like the big one was like Daniel Davidson who came second to, to Nicholas Antla, uh, when, when Paul placed six at, uh, Kona Peace Day, we didn't see him at other events. I don't think, um, same with like, uh, a couple other guys that just weren't as consistently touring. So it's like, unfortunately, the field is like different every time. So like, we don't get to learn about one individual player very much. So I don't think we learned uh, a whole lot about the European field, unfortunately. And as far as Paul, I mean, it's just, you have to go by the eye test more than anything and just see how his shots are looking, how comfortable he feels, you know, some of the stats maybe. But as far as like the competition he's playing against, it's, it's obviously nowhere near what he would be facing if he was, you know, playing elite events in North America. And so it's hard to gauge where exactly he's at ranking wise. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, certainly difficult. And like you mentioned the trends, like that's what I was looking for is like, okay, who's going to be trending during these events and the fields were different quite often. And that was noticeable. Exactly. Uh, Brody, what do you think? Do you think that we've learned anything or not? Yeah. I mean, I think we've learned stuff because we've been watching, you know, coverage of these tournaments and of these players that we normally wouldn't have. And so there are some names on there that we probably would never have heard about until maybe they do come to the States next year or in future years as well. So that's pretty much what we learned. I think looking at uh, some of these finishes that he had and watching him, I think Dustin's right on like, you have to kind of take the eye test and see how his game is. It, it does look like he's not super sharp right now off the tee. 
it does look like his putting has actually kind of bailed him out at a lot of these events um, where he is still missing, you know, shots that we probably wouldn't really assume a top level player to be missing. And if you do go, I think the name that Dustin uh, left out, which I think was probably the most impressive out of all the players uh, that I saw that I did not know of was the Mari Vilmon who ended up winning the first event that Paul was over there. He talking to some other players from uh, Europe, they have talked about how he is this guy that has gotten really good, really quickly has really improved is someone that is going to be coming over to the States next year, I believe and touring some. So it'd be interesting to kind of see that. But for the most part, we know these guys, Lori Lennon. We know he's a solid player. Jakob, we've seen him play before. Bino, we've seen him play before. A lot of these guys we've seen before. And so it's not like we're getting any kind of intel. And, you know, looking at this last event, you have Paul Macbeth taking it down. Lori Lennon getting second. James Proctor, we know how good he is. He got third actually by shooting a really good score the final round. His first round was really bad. Um, that might have been due to travel or whatnot. Um, and then, you know, Scott Stokely finishing fifth. I mean, we can kind of see what is going on over there of where they have a handful of guys that can compete and we have seen them compete in the States. And then the rest are probably guys that, you know, if they play really well, they might finish in the top 20 at an elite event and or otherwise they're not making cash. And I think they would just kind of gaps that we have at some events still in the States on the bottom, but outside of Mari, I don't think I saw anyone right now as contention of coming States next year and winning. Can I add one thing real quick? And this this doesn't have to give me a point or anything like that. I just want to throw this in there real quick because I forgot to mention this before. Again, I'm fine with the result. Um, I do think that it actually might be damning how well Scott Stokely has placed at some of these events if you want to talk about the strength of the overall field, that's no shot Scott Stokely. But if you compare to where he was finishing on the disc golf pro tour last year, and you compare to where he's finishing on this Euro tour. Yeah. I, maybe like my, you can pick up some big names up at the top above him that are yeah. talents. But like, if he's placing that high, then it does maybe I, bring in the question. I think, I think it's has maybe more to do with the courses that they're playing. Maybe. Yeah. I think it it's, the, I think Scott Stokely, courses, if you take the length away, I, I think yeah. Scott Stokely becomes really effective at a lot of those courses. I think I think that's why he was able to succeed at all on the pro tour. I mean, the guy's old. Like, I mean, that's just the bottom line. So I, I think it's the courses. That's that to me, when I look at what happened, I think Brody is on to the right point with like we have enough players for the litmus test, essentially, where it's like we know enough of these guys to like nothing crazy is happening over they there. They were all finishing very high. It wasn't right. like all of a sudden Lori Lettinen's getting like 15th and we're like, who are all these guys right. consistently beating him? I think the courses are the biggest wild card and like the hardest test as well, because as much as there might be some guys over on the European scene that um, don't look impressive over there, maybe they throw really far and would do better on some of the tour courses. Like it's, it's difficult to know sometimes. And I'll say this, you know, playing, playing this course here, uh, getting ready for the PCS open, you know, you don't reach a par four until hole seven and that par four, I believe I threw my drive and then proceeded to have a jump putt for my second shot. Um, there is some length on some of these par fours on the back nine. So that will be really interesting to kind of see, but I think watching a lot of the coverage over there, they had some really cool holes for sure. Yeah. But they also have like six, seven, eight holes on every course that are like 300 feet, 280, where it's like musket birdie kind of things. Yeah. And I think, I think Trevor's right in this fa- in the fact of like someone like a Scott Stokely, who still has a really high skill set for sh- uh, those shots is a good putter. You know, he can compete versus putting him on a course where, okay, you got to throw a 500 foot shot and then you have to throw a 400 foot shot. Right. Um, that really kind of with OB and stuff that really kind of separates the field a little bit in a different skill set. So it's yeah. different skill sets. I think the European uh, course styles is a completely different sto- skill set. Yeah. And maybe that's just going to be the identity of the European disc golf scene. I mean, that's kind of cool to have. Uh, it's, it's certainly something how different we can nice. have disc golf at the moment. Like there can be just such vast differences in course. Um, but in any case, Bro- Brody uh, standing up, Brody is our winner today, taking it down by one point. Uh, the standing desk is victorious. Two really good performances in a row standing up. This is going to become an interesting uh, thing for you going forward. Yeah. I don't know if I can keep it going. We'll see but... if there are repercussions physically uh, for sure. 
Um, do you have yeah. anything to say before you depart for your 9 p.m. daylight practice <laughs> round? time. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say this. I think, I think if you can tune in to coverage this week, it would be wise to do so because this course, I believe, is a private course. I think it's a pay-to-play course. Yeah, but so. it's one that it's it's not completely finished. I I, I want to say I don't think it's completely finished because there is some T pads that just like don't really fit with like the other style. But like eighty percent of the course, you walk up to a T pad and the T pad has its own unique feel. The hole has its own unique feel. It's really well manicured, really well taken care of, and it's got some really cool features that I think set this apart from golf. Like I, I know tons of people are trying to get away from putting disc golf on golf courses, but how do you make it look, feel good and not like we're in a cow pasture where funny thing enough, there are cows that do walk across this course, but <laughs> they do have really good infrastructure on a lot of these holes. And I think that has a huge thing. I think the look of it, the feel of it, hole 18, they've done something really cool where they've bannered off the entire surrounding of hole 18. So it looks like I believe all fans are going to be able to have almost a, a 360 around the final hole. And it's like a, it feels like you're almost in a hockey rink. I think doing Whoa. stuff like this makes it look different, makes it feel different. And I think it's going to have a huge impact, not just on the players, but on the fans. And hopefully you guys all tune in. Is the 18th basket still on a tractor? Is that this course? They painted it. Yeah. You, but they did build, they that? did build a, uh, I don't like that. Um, <laughs> I don't like that at all, but I will say they did build a, uh, instead of just like last year, I believe it was just a tractor unpainted and it was just sitting on the grass. Yeah. They did build like a uh, stand for it. So it's like off the ground on wood. Now a nice little wood stand. And then they did paint it all yellow for like the end of a theme sponsorship. So wow. it does, it, fit, it fits in a little bit more with the actual aesthetics of the course. I'm not a huge fan of like, yeah, maybe we should have like a tournament in New York and have like the Statue of Liberty with like the basket coming out of her hand or something. <laughs> I, I'm not, I don't want that to be like the disc golf way of doing things, but um, <laughs> it is what it is. I'm sure there's some people that do enjoy it. Certainly. Um, well, yeah, I definitely agree with Brody. Make sure to check out the coverage, uh, PCS and the European Open. The courses are really fun to watch. Um, just make sure you're up early to watch it. Uh, and if, if it's FPO, up really, really early. Um, but other than that, we'll be back next week with another episode of Debate Night, and we'll see you then.